Live by Live has all of your favorite music, and you can listen for free. Whether you hit play on one of our hundreds of curated music stations or create your own custom artist radio station, you'll find the music you love on Live by Live. Visit LiveXLive.com or search LiveXLive in the App Store or Google Play and listen for free now. Faden? Cut to. Exterior. Interior. Restaurant. Bar. Club. Day. Night. Hello, everyone. This is episode 50-something of Restaurant Fiction. It's kind of like after you turn 30, age is relevant. Oh, yeah, I turned this number. Yeah, it's that number with Restaurant Fiction. Well, anyway, what's the point? Why did I even mention it? Because it's time to give out a giveaway. Is it going to be swag? Maybe. Quite possibly. Is it going to be an an unedited, unaired episode? Quite possibly. Is it going to be all of the above? Quite possibly. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be none of the above. But here's the deal. This is how you get all or none. Listen to this whole episode. Then give me a shout out of your three favorite things that our guest, Maggie McKay, says. And then email me at the email address, Monis, that is spelled M-O-N-I-S, at restaurantfiction.com. Because you listen to Restaurant Fiction, that means you are awesome. Scratch that. You are fucking awesome. Gotta put the fuck in the fucking awesome. Now, why are you here? Well, you want to listen to another awesome fucking episode of Restaurant Fiction. We're reviewing the awesome New York City 80s bar, The Terminal Bar. It is the fictional bar prominently featured in the Martin Scorsese film After Hours. And we are talking to none other than the executive director of Vidiots, Maggie McKay. What is Vidiots? Well, if you're from L.A., shame on you for not knowing. And if you're new to L.A., or you're thinking about going to one of the biggest and most popular metropolises of the entire world, the only stop you need to go to is Vidious. Find out why right after this review of The Terminal Bar. Go. Guys, gals, aliens, dinosaurs, people from another dimension, let me tell you a little um, history of lower Manhattan in the 80s. Uh, For those who uh, are not familiar, most of the bars and clubs, they were filled with different vibes. And I'm talking like a little bit of a sexual deviance. I'm talking a lot of anti-disco. I'm talking punk, like serious punk, not the fun gimmicky punk, but like hardcore punk. Real punk. Real punk. Yeah. You know, and and, and who really infiltrated these places? Usually artists, usually creatives, people that had a loft, a minimalistic loft, if you will. But anyway, so you had that. But then there was this nice little anomaly, and it was called the Terminal Bar. And the Terminal Bar 
is like a twilight zone. It's like this indispensable vortex that really honestly put you in another land, but in a good way. It was as if you were stuck in middle America and yet you were actually in the epicenter of New York City. Let me describe the terminal bar. Not, it's not really a rich people's bar. It's not a, it's definitely not a person, you know, a hot seat, trendy spot at all. You know, it's not really even comfortable, but it is inviting. It is really, really inviting. It will, um, in a way, if you consider yourself a wafering stranger in whether it be the big city vibe or just you are out of your element, you feel like a fish out of water, the terminal bar is your place. They have a great pool table. It's leveled. The felt is fine. You know, the cash register is broke, has dangling skulls. So if if that is that because that is an issue, um, they do the honor system, the layaway system, if you will. If you need matches for a smoke, just grab them from the cigarette machine in the back. Um, you're not going to get any kind of craft beer. I'm sorry. Um, you know, neon Miller light signs, light the thing up on the bar up on the outside. You have the Budweiser signs on the inside. You're going to get watery down suds. I'm in a really cheap plastic pitcher and that's okay. It's New York after all. So of course it's going to have a jukebox. Jukebox always plays, but uh, don't expect anything from CBGB. Don't expect any kind of hardcore rave music. Go to Club Berlin for that. There's yeah. always a place for that, but not inside the terminal bar. And what's even the best part about the terminal bar? It's its attitude. It has this laissez-faire, um, almost excuse the language, like we don't we don't give a fuck attitude, you know. And and really, uh, the terminal bar is uh, it, it is reminiscent of the '80s. And the '80s, um, because of media, because of branding. I feel restaurant fiction feels the 80s is like, oh, oh, it's good and evil. Everything is black and white. Well, guess what? The terminal bar uh, painted the great picture that life in general is great. You know that. And even when we and, and restaurant fiction is guilty 100 percent that even when we think um, something is a truism, when you go into the terminal bar, it really is just an assumption and makes a big ass out of us. Well, anyway, <laughs> that is the Terminal Bar Review from the Martin Scorsese film After Hours. We are talking to Maggie McKay from uh, Vidiots. Uh, Maggie, what would you have to add? What do you have to delete? What is your opinion on that review and the Terminal Bar? Um, I love that review. I love the idea that it's a little bit of like a... It's like the cross between a safe zone and the twilight zone. I grew up in New York. I grew up in the neighborhood that After Hours was shot in. Um, I grew up in Soho. I was 10 in 1985. So I wasn't hanging out in any of the bars. But um, I do remember when After Hours was being shot in and around the neighborhood. Um, it wasn't a, a, a regular thing to have movies shot in lower Manhattan at that time. I remember this is before Soho turned into a Mac store and had a chain, you know, luxury goods shop on every corner. Um, it was whenever somebody asks what it was like growing up in Soho, I just say 
just picture after hours, but, but make it a little girl, like make that, you know, and you know, I, I loved my neighborhood. I didn't really know that much different. I did spend a lot of time in Brooklyn. I split time between my parents and my dad lived in Brooklyn in a much more sort of in quotes, normal neighborhood, um, you know, with stickball and neighbors and playhouses and, and kids, you know, in the street. Uh, Soho was a different story. I can't remember when I saw After Hours. I, I think I saw it, maybe not. I think I rented it from the video store is really where I found it. Because I, I don't think it was something I saw in the movie theater. A video store opened across the street when I was probably somewhere between 8 and 10. And it completely changed my life and has everything to do with my role as the steward of idiots, you know, 40 some odd years later. I think of the video store as a safe haven. It was the place where I could go and and have some freedom, which was pretty hard to get as a kid in New York City. There was only so much wandering around by yourself you could do because it wasn't, you know, if it's not safe for Griffin Dunn, you know, which is sort of partially perceived in the movie, you know, he's 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 kind of a ridiculous straight white guy who like, you know, brings everything about a lot of stuff he brings on himself. But when I saw After Hours, it instantly became one of my favorite movies. It has remained one of my favorite movies. And I feel incredibly close to a lot of those characters. Um, the John Hurd character has become like something of a relative for me. That part in that movie, when when Griffin Dunn goes into the terminal bar to get out of the rain and and to get away from the the encroaching doom of empty street Soho, you do feel you have a reprieve. There's a reprieve for him. There's a reprieve for the audience. Um, it's not the most ordinary assembly of characters. You've got these like this very sweet leather daddy couple slow dancing in the bar. You've got um, Terry Gar, who's one of my all time favorite characters who I think, you know, everybody has, at least I do, I always feel a little tiny Terry Gar in me from After Hours. Um, and then there's John Hurd, who's like the most trustworthy, kind, um, gentle person who will create a port in a storm for you and trust you with his house keys and tell you his, you know, innermost secrets and be a friend within seconds. So. That was one of the reasons I had a very hard time figuring out what my favorite bar or restaurant to talk about on this podcast would be. But I ultimately really needed to go back to the source, which is what are my favorite movies? And then my husband was the one who said, you love the terminal bar. Why don't you talk about that? Just I was just reading, oh, this blog post. There's, there's something really um, communal about like just shopping at a video store and same with the record store, but like at a video store and like holding and developing your own algorithm, your own streaming yes. algorithm here. It's like, like how, how does, I mean, going more vidiots, how does vidiots create and enhance that communal feeling? Cause I, I feel it, I feel it does just to, because you never even, no one, and I'm going off, no one even knows themselves. It takes a lifetime, especially when it comes to the art he or she likes. And just choosing, yes, I could like The Notebook, but I also could like Braveheart. Like, then that's my taste. 
it's about time. <laughs> yeah. I started working my professional life. The bulk of my professional life was as a film programmer for film festivals, which put me in the position of having a very critical eye. And I'm, you know, looking for gems and sometimes having to, I, I hated the word reject, but the reality was we had to constantly write filmmakers and tell them we weren't going to take their work. And something I will say that happened when I joined Vidiots was this incredible feeling of freedom in knowing it wasn't my job to judge anymore. I didn't have to judge. I didn't have to rate. I didn't have to assign um, importance between one thing and another. The video store is meant to house everything. I think one of the things that set Vidiots apart and maybe, you know, made it honestly a lot better than the video store I grew up with was that Patty and Kathy, our founders, really founded it with the idea of creating a community hub. It wasn't just a transactional space where you could pay for something and then get what you paid for and leave it was really very much meant and designed for people to feel like um, it was one of their third spaces between home and work or home and school. Vidiots was a third space that felt very aligned with you as a, as a person, as a member of the community. And they were always doing events in there. They would have a poetry reading. They would have a filmmaker come in and, and do a panel conversation before people were having panel conversations on every corner and every festival and lap, you know, I mean, before that was like, you know, the popular thing to do for, for what essentially was a mom and mom, small business. So many people just use the restaurant scene or the bar scene as a byproduct, but really how important is the, the restaurant scene or the bar scene in the films that you see, you know, because it does, create a new world for the characters that you're falling in love or hating, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think like, you know, bars and restaurants um, have been around, you know, since, since people were walking upright. And I think they're really important spaces for us. And I think we, <laughs> boy, if this time has taught us anything, it's how much we value community spaces that are not connected to our homes or, or to our places of business. And again, that third space, that idea of the third space, we've all lost our third spaces through the pandemic. We really can't go to those third spaces unless they're outdoors. I've always appreciated my bars and restaurants in a really serious way, partially because I saw so many of them disappear when I was living in New York. My pizza restaurants have almost all gone away. I think I have two left in New York City. Wait, your and, own like favorite pizza restaurants? Yeah. So John's Pizza in Greenwich Village. Okay. And, um, and I think Ben's in Soho is still there. I don't know if they make Zeppeli anymore, which was the thing. But those places were where I grew up and they informed who I am as a person. And I can't remember the names of the waitresses and the waiters or the chefs or the, you know, the barbacks anymore, but they are the people I grew up with. And I feel that way. I felt that way all through college as well. The people who I worked with in bars and restaurants had an indelible influence on me. And I, and I think that when I watch movies, how people interact in a bar or restaurant says a lot about the character. What kinds of uh, what kinds of stories stick with you, Maggie? 
I love watching people, you know, physically manipulate things and and doing something that's sort of maybe quiet, but, but physical and, and feels real. I love stories about, I love stories about people who are fucked up. Excuse my language. I really do. I like stories about people who find some kind of redemption or an end to loneliness, even if they're, you know, imperfect and, and, and trying to find their way in the world. But I, I like all genres of films. I'm, I'm even kind of worn out on the whole genre idea in general. Um, I think good stories are good stories and compelling characters can be put in any kind of scenario and they will always be compelling. Wow. Wow. All right. Um, what's a movie that you love and everyone else hates or the people around you? Like it's, it's like a zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes everywhere else, but you give it a hundred percent. Oh my God. <laughs> That's a really good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I think serious critics, I don't know if serious critics take the movie face off very seriously. I love the movie face off. I'll watch it. If that's one of those kinds of movies where if it's on, I have to watch it. There's there's and that's one of the things I really miss about cable TV. And I will oh, be a cable TV devotee for the rest of my life on this planet because a lot like the radio, I like when the DJ plays something I love, but I wasn't expecting. I don't like always programming my art. I sometimes want to be surprised. So I so I love I love channel surfing and then finding something that you can't stop watching. But I don't know. I mean, Face Off is awesome. And if somebody wanted to get me in a fight with Face Off, like I'll bring it and I'll you know, I I'm honest, I think I have pretty good taste. I don't know why. I don't know. Um <laughs> For our for our listeners, I mean, you brought it up. For our listeners who who don't who don't know Face Off, uh, shame on you, listeners. Oh, um, yeah. I believe it was a, a John Woo directed film uh, with Nick Cage before he went crazy, crazy, crazy. Nick Cage and John Travolta. He's pretty crazy in that movie. He was he, pretty, he was perfection. pretty crazy. But but I got I got his. I mean, you. I mean, the the biggest quote, the best quote is, "They took my face off." <laughs> Yeah, no, it's Nick Cage and John Travolta who switch faces. Um, they're in a battle between good and evil. And John Travolta is the good cop. And um, Nick Cage is the evil, like, you don't even really totally know what he does. He's like a drug kind of, he does bad shit. Let's put it that way. I mean, boy, this is a hard plot to explain. They accidentally get stuck with each other's faces and kind of bodies too like they do get the hairy knuckles on travolta yeah they, they get everything like it's it's weird yeah they they do the face but then the whole body also more the they, yeah. they get it all right they get it all right yeah it, yeah it, you believe it you're in it you, you believe, believe it, it. <laughs> yeah you believe it and um yeah and and then they and then they got to battle it out without screwing each other's faces up you know that's right yeah you know that's that's just it you know i mean uh, I think I was I was just reading personally. I was reading um, Matthew McConaughey's book Green Lights. He just wrote this memoir, and he hung out with like these goth kids. And like Matthew McConaughey loved Die Hard, but he hung out with these like auteurs, and they're like, "No, Die Hard's yeah. a big movie. It's produced by Joe Silver. It's horrible." It's like, did yeah. you see Die Hard? It's like the most perfect action movie ever. So, like, if you like Die Hard, good. 
that's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think with movie watching, and again, that's sort of what I love about the video store is that there's sort of, there's no judgment in the video store. You know, you pick what you like and, and be open-minded to things that are new. And I don't, I, I think when you're um, programming a film festival or you are a, a film curator at a museum, then I think sometimes, yeah, you do have an obligation, you know, to really um, promote things that are quality. And and I do think all of us have a, an enormous responsibility to in, in people in my position that are overseeing arts organizations or shepherding arts organizations. I think we have an enormous responsibility to show the entire scope of artists and voices and really provide work for an incredibly diverse audience. And that is part of why I love the video store so much because, you know, I I get to say we have something for everybody and really I'm I'm not exaggerating. You know, we we work really hard at Vidiots at only just following the path of our founders to make sure that we are stocking as many films as we can from as many voices and perspectives as we can. And that's a lot. We're over 50,000 titles and two of the the biggest streaming services combined right now are about 4,000. So it gives you some perspective on on what the limitations can be when you take physical media out of the equation. All right. So so tell me where can people find you and upcoming? This is um, obviously you already mentioned Vidiots, but this is um, free for the shout outs uh, right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm the I'm the gal behind Vidiots. If you DM us or you reach out through our general email account, I or or maybe one other person will get to you and and love to have a chat with you. We're um we're raising money as fast as we can, hopefully starting construction pretty soon so that we can be open ideally early part of 22 and welcome you all back to the movies and give you some popcorn and a beer and and have a hang. Awesome. Awesome. And yeah, and for people who can don't uh, want to donate or be involved, yeah, what is the um, website or anything like that? Yeah, vidiotsfoundation.org. Okay. We very much appreciate your donations, big and small. We have some merch online that people can can hook up with, you know, and we want to hear from you all. So please reach out. Awesome. Shout out once again. To the vidiotsfoundation.org. That is V-I-D-I-O-T-S-F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N dot O-R-G. Check out what they're doing and how to support through that website, vidiotsfoundation.org. Thank you again to Maggie McKay. We only wish New York City still had a terminal bar in the downtown area. And until our next episode, continue the conversation with me. Give me a DM on IG. That's not dirty in any way. That stands for direct message on Instagram. Thank you. Email me at monis, M-O-N-I-S, at restaurantfiction.com. Whether you are a new or avid listener, we want to hear from you. That's the only way we can improve.
until our next episode, which is going to be a doozy. Keep it real, keep it fresh, and always keep it on the flip side. Cut to exterior, interior, restaurant, bar, club, day, night. <laughs> <laughs>